Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. We have the most cost-effective healthcare in the world and with the most impressive outcomes, just not together and nor in the macro here in America. But yes, in the micro, we actually do. When direct contracts are optimized, employers are onto the games of the bigs. Going direct is the next logical step. Big extractive bloated middles are simply sidestepped and up to 60% off the number two spin is what companies can now see drop to their bottom line when they engage direct contracting with healthcare. At 3% margins, Walmart, for example, avoided the aggravation of selling 33.3 billion in goods to see a billion in EBITDA drop to the bottom line in 2019. And it was a modest spending shave because they spend somewhere in the range of $20 billion. So saving a billion is 5%, but it's still impressive, a billion dollars. But let's go to back to the 33 billion. It's over 600 stores they didn't have to operate at their contribution per store. So that's how I like to think about the healthcare spend shavings is that it's like buried treasure on every balance sheet, not just Walmart, every employer. It all drops to the bottom line, the dividend that comes from direct contracting. So today's guest isn't just talking to employers about the ROI of his primary care offering. It's the one-to-one ROI, it's free. And we know that that happens year one or two with most of these companies that are doing this. But investing in direct primary care on a site or near site or and virtual has measurable soft cost savings too that makes HR the hero, especially when it's free or near free, a one-to-one ROI. We now know that's real. Attraction and retention rise when care is free. The opposite goes for absentee and presenteeism. They drop measurably. Well, presenteeism, not so much because that's people daydreaming, but you're there, you're just not engaged, but they do drop. And I've lived it myself. A recent guest, Miranda Deaton, was on with PBGH, and she turned y'all on to the California study of primary care with 3 million patients that was completed early this year, back in February. When soft and hard costs are combined in the analysis of primary care spend, this groundbreaking study showed that the ROI isn't one-to-one free, it's 10-to-1. Would you take 10-to-1 in your IRA? I would. Okay, back to the premise. We are seeing this two ways. ROI, anything over one-to-one makes it a no-brainer for employers. But the other way we look at this is 20 to 60% savings are not uncommon in the overall healthcare spending, depending on whether they walk, crawl, or run into this direct contracting model. So the number two spend after labor, big power move for any CFO to engage in direct contracting. Just another lens. Okay, so let's go back to 60% off. 60% off of the 12,000 we spend per capita in the country. And by the way, that's about what Walmart spends is just over 13,000 is what we spend in America. So 
it's well in line with our peer nations if you shave 60% off that 12,000, because again, all of that drops us to the bottom of this spend in our peer categories and to the top of the outcomes if we adopt direct contracting. So why aren't we racing into direct contracting? Well, because if primary care and virtual care are free, well, wait a minute, they're not free, they're a thousand percent return. What's holding up COFOs and HR? Two things that I think our guest will confirm today, because he deals with this every day of his life. Number one, I think they want to sample the well-documented success. Decades of case studies, be damned. Decades of academic studies, be damned. And maybe they're not decades, they're kind of new actually. So instead of all the direct going to pharmacy, direct going to labs, primary care, free market surgery, direct specialists that are engaging in cash, they don't want to engage their team all at once in this new universe because it seems so strange, but they will dip their itty bitty toe in. So it's again, the crawl, walk, run theory. You don't get to 60 day one, you might get to 20, 40, 60 over time as you get more comfortable with direct contracting. And the employees have to engage, of course, at the cafeteria level. So maybe in time, they will get fully engaged and maybe in time, 60% will be saved by everybody playing ball here. And as wholesale cash becomes king and people get clear on that, that 60% off that spend, healthcare, is a massive EBITDA impact that can help America as like a tax dividend or a tax refund, but better because it's all self-market generated. Okay, second reason why I think folks are not rushing into this is because their fear of this experiment, and it's just a takeoff of number one, but this experiment called direct, leaving Buka the nest, the Buka nest is a very scary thing. And you know what's even scarier? Even scarier is 110 million Americans in collections through medical billing up from 80 million just four years ago when we started this show. That's a 30 million jump during the pandemic. So with 157 million workers, that's 70%. But of course, not all 110 million are workers. But still, that's a third of our population in America. And you take out the kids, that's closer to half. So 60% of us have had a date with COVID that are adults. All of us will. So the same seems inevitable of having a date with the darkest of healthcare professions, revenue cycle management or bill collectors, we'll call them what they are, collecting when you've just undergone a peak physical trauma and a peak emotional one, let's add to that bill collectors to stack on the heat. We all will someday have a date with COVID. We all someday will have a date with these vultures when it's our number called from the bingo ball bin. And yo, if you work for RCM, maybe go find a profession that's not trucking in misery every day. It's got to be a non-evil way to use your talent. All right. We are comfortably in direct contract care and the best cost quartile paired with the best outcome quartile. Now that is the future where everybody wins. And who knows more about that, but today's guest, Brad Kirkpatrick, who's the chief commercial officer of Hydrogen Health which is a primary care offering for employers and insurance. Brad has 30 plus years experience, previously being at Anthem and WebMD in the healthcare industry. Hydrogen's market, addressable market is employers and insurers. Interesting, I wanna hear about that because that's a new one for me. Okay, so welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks, Ron, good to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, any comments before we get going? Uh, that was a lot of great stuff. I think we've got a create alignment in this country. And I do think that they will start, they being the employers, to 
dip a little more than the toe in because in 30 years doing this, we're going to reach a breaking point. The breaking point's either going to be the bottom line, as you said, for companies as we try to compete in the U.S. in a worldwide economy, or it's going to be people who are uh, not able to produce. As you said, they're in bankruptcy. So they're not really, uh, they're definitely absent and they're certainly not very present. Um, so we've got to do something. So uh, direct contracting, I think, is a huge lever. And we believe making sure, as I think you do, that, that primary care is a staple of uh, the turnaround is, is, is really critical. So those are my comments. Great. Well, not everybody's going to recognize the three partners that came together to create Hydrogen Health. But Blackstone Partners, everybody's heard of Blackstone. They're one of the two largest private equity groups on the planet. And they're one of your partners. Have they opened up their golden Rolodex for you so their portfolio is open for you to co-contact their prospects and their investments to present your offering? Yeah, it's a great question, Ron. So let me kind of give you the, the lay of the land where we're at. Hydrogen is um, a little over a year old. So it was formed as a, as a joint venture. The adventure partners are Blackstone, Anthem, and, and K-Health. So to answer your question specifically, we've uh, been busy growing from about uh, zero to between zero and 2 million as we started this year to we'll probably close the year about nine or 10 million um, employers that have basically opted into the solution through the Anthem channel. So we're going to start the process of reaching out directly to employers. We've got the first two that are on board and certainly we'll be talking to some Blackstone portfolio companies here in the near future. Okay. So let's talk about what the offering looks like. Describe it to me as if I'm an employer listening to your pitch. Yeah, I mean, thank you for the question, Ron. I mean, the way we normally talk about it is we've, you've said it well, we've got to do something different. We've got a serious problem. If you sit and look at the reports that come out quarterly or annual that the TPA, the carrier, whoever it is, it's providing data back to a self-funded employer, you know, a third to a half of the population isn't engaged in primary care. Um, and I think we all know what happens when they're not, right? We have unnecessary cost. We have too late diagnosis. We have employers asking, how do I avoid, uh, how do I reduce my avoidable ER visits? How do I cut back on my large claimant spend, especially the ones that seem to be coming back year after year that are chronic and maybe not caught early enough? And so we've, we've got to do something different. Um, our approach, when we, when we talk to an employer, is we really rebuilt primary care from the, the ground up. We're not traditional telemedicine. We're more like a virtual deployment of direct or advanced primary care. Uh, we kind of think of it as primary care 2.0. And so we can scale, we can treat everybody across the country and very cost-effective and our financial models are aligned with, with the employer. Um, and the last thing I think I would say is that you know telemedicine or the virtual world has a tendency to be seen as lesser than, and we have really focused on making it better than if you will, and Mayo is a key partner in, in that effort, whether it's you know collecting 2 billion health events that we could teach a machine the language of medicine and, and help provide very personalized information back to the patient, or whether it's deep learning models we did with them over 8 million chronic patients over 10 years to figure out what the right medications are for, for a hypertensive patient. You know, we're not stopping on trying to make this much better than medicine and more consistent on a national basis. So that would be our summary. So the cafeteria choices I get would look like primary care, OC health, behavioral health. What else is in your offering? Yep. So we're, we take comprehensive primary care longitudinally. We can diagnose and treat hundreds of conditions remotely, um, as well as we have integrated behavioral health. So we have medication management 
uh, capabilities for depression and anxiety. And we do that through measurement of GAD and PHQs until someone's at remission. And then we'll, we'll provide them a prescription that's more than 30 days. And we'll be relaunching a therapy solution with therapists for behavioral health in an integrated way, um, probably first half of next year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything else on the menu? Not right now. That's keeping okay. us pretty busy. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. And then what is the price per month? Is it depending on what you choose or is it one all-in price per member per month? Yeah, I won't we'll get into the actual units, but the concept is, I think, different, Ron, than most others out there. We're, if you talk about a non and we can come back to HSA, high-deductible populations, and, and the bankruptcy concept you threw out. But if you talk about for the non-HSA population, since we don't have to deal with the IRS, um, you know, most employers are offering it from a no-cost perspective to, to the patient, as you alluded to. And then we are able to do a form of capitation. So we're taking utilization risk from a primary care perspective, but I, I say a type of it. Um, it is actually aligned with the employer such that if someone doesn't engage with us on an ongoing basis, they're only paying us an interim monthly capitation model. So the onus is on us to keep the person engaged in their care. Okay, Brad, thanks for that. Tell us more. Yeah, right. So the whole point of the model we've created is to drive unit cost and or you know, capitation fees down so that we can engage it's seriously down, right? From options of, we'll call it traditional brick and mortar and or even telemedicine um, because of, as I alluded to and you alluded to in the opening, you know, high deductible health plans and affordability of healthcare, we've got to deliver the basic elements of primary care more cost-effective without sacrificing quality. So we're talking, you know, a third to a half less expensive with, we believe, the same or better quality in some respects because we can drive um, a national approach. So not only are we creating financial models that don't set up fixed capitation fees that are paid across the population, and if only a percent or two of that population engages, that's not good enough in our mind. We want to be aligned with the employer to, to get the people that need to be engaged in primary care engaged. Okay. Speaking of engaged, what percent of that 9 million do you have engaged today? And what does that look like in three years? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So um, we're, we're deployed through, for, for the vast majority of that population in Anthem, we're deployed through their, their digital um, application. I won't go into all the technical details, but you wouldn't really even know we were there, but it is us. Um, and in, for the, so for the people that have downloaded the ability to get to us through, through Anthem, um, our engagement is in the high teens right now, almost 20%. So um, that's a combination of the people that are coming to us and, and getting self-care through the dynamic health dialogue, or I'll call it symptom checker, that we've created, um, as well as the people that actually interact with our clinicians. So does that number look like north of 500,000, south of 500,000? What are we looking at? Uh, yeah, it's probably just a little south of 500,000 that are engaged. Yeah, we're doing in total... Uh, thousands of patient visits a day. That's not just our health dialogue. That's actually um, physician to patient interactions. Okay. And how many physicians have you got on board right now that are either full-time or part-time? Yeah, we're a, we're a mostly full-time uh, model run. Uh, we've got three PCs that we operate with about 250 total providers. Again, 92% of those are, are physicians, um, not advanced providers. And then 93% of all of those providers are W2 with us. So we're using the model of live in our clinical data ingestion platform 
an EMR we built for your full-time job and, and basically operate at the top of your license, let our technology layer take care of the things that, that drive you uh, into a place you don't want to be as a primary care provider. Well, that's my next question. Place you don't want to be. Most doctors today, I don't think want to be with those who have recruited and bought their practices. So I don't think they want to be with these big hospitals, these big organizations that aren't really treating them right these days. We're going to have an entire show just about the amazing amount of pressures on a physician that works for a big system. What are y'all doing to attract doctors and are you having trouble attracting doctors? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with your your previous comment. Um, it's a great opportunity for us. Um, at, you know, the vertical and a quote unquote. I'll make sure I say quote unquote vertical integration that's out there. Um, I think you and I both know what mostly it's about relative to the you know preeminent fee for service world that that most of these health systems are still operating under. So it, it puts a lot of pressure on the primary care physician, and I don't think they really love it at all. With that said, it opens great doors. So if they can work from home, they can practice medicine, um, they can have most all of the billing aspects taken care of for them. They have a concierge team that surrounds them and, and they have at any one time, let's say, because we're 24 seven practice, you know, 80 to 100 physicians that have, when they have a difficult case, they can actually literally real time bounce it around and get other opinions. So we've got the best of combination of machine learning and AI supporting them as well as, you know, colleagues that can, can jump in at any minute and, and offer suggestions and thoughts. That's, we think, the kind of medicine primary care physicians want to practice. They want to, they want to use their brain and the work they, they did in schooling and all the practice they've done you know, in a brick and mortar setting and optimize it every day, not, not get pulled into the drudgery of what, it, what has become primary care. Okay, so let's talk about who wins now. Explain how the employer wins when they get into your model. What costs are dropping? What downstream stuff's dropping? Yep. So um, I, I, the simple way for that I always approach it first run is we don't have, so they don't pay us unless we perform, period, right? So there's not a penny they're going to pay us unless we're, we're actually engaging their population. So I, I start there. Second unit cost that they're going to pay us are substantially less than other unit cost. So we can calculate hard savings, you know, almost immediately on anything that we do. Third avenue of savings is what we're seeing employers really asking us to do is partner with them to attack that population that, that isn't using primary care today. And if you dissect that, I know you know this, but for the listeners, if you dissect that population that hasn't seen primary care in 12, 18 months, do whatever time period you want to do on it, they're not just young and healthy. Um, about 50% of that population has one of the you know, primary chronic diseases. And so you know, the call center worker, the line worker, the folks that are you know, probably in a high deductible health plan and shouldn't be making pick X dollars an hour, not enough to afford the deductible and certainly the out-of-pocket, just trying to get care, need a really easy, simple way to do it. And so the final measurement, I think, of how we're being, we're being measured is, is can we engage that population? So we're, as a practice, proactively reaching out, letting them know that we're there for them. Um, and once they start to use our solution, it's so simple. Again, I think it takes on the concepts of the you know, direct primary care, advanced primary care, and the simplicity um, and so we're, we're, we are engaging those populations very, very well. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, outcomes. What are your outcomes looking like now that you've been at this for? Are you, are you tagging on the K Street outcomes or are you creating your own outcomes? What, where do you start your metric? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's hard to, it's hard to 
produce traditional outcomes as you and I think of them in a in a consumer world, right? Because we can't see the rest of what might be going on with that patient from a quote unquote claims or or other perspective. So most of the outcomes from a, a longitudinal perspective we do are, are going to be on the on the hydrogen side. So we have pretty robust outcomes for someone that has symptoms or have an urgent care need. We did a, a seven thousand match patient uh, model where we match for age, sex, geography, took out comorbidity. Um, and just looked at, you know, are we saving money? And you, you would certainly think um, in an urgent care world, we are. And we are, you know, somewhere in the range of, let's say, $250 per episode. And we, it was an episodic analysis. So we, we looked at it for 30 days. The reality is we can hang on to, in this study, 93%. So 93% of the time, we're not, we're not creating any additional costs. We're removing costs from the system in an urgent care situation. 7% of the time, they actually need to be seen in person by somebody in that, in that urgent care model. We're starting to see outcomes. We're just literally just a little over a year and actually launched full-blown longitudinal primary care a year ago today, exactly today. So we're starting to see some early outcomes in care gap closure, um, total cost of care. Around total cost of care, one of the things we're, we're hypervigilant about is making sure that we're doing everything we can to get somebody to that absolute right, right high-quality, low-cost provider versus you know whatever the traditional PPO model might be. Okay. And then the costs, are costs dropping yet or is it early to tell that as well? I think, again, short-term urgent care costs are dropping. I think long-term, it's hard to tell just at 12 months, right? We don't even have 12 months of mature claims to look at. We will probably in three to six months, we can, we can report back more on that. Okay. All right. Well, so that, I think that gives us a pretty accurate picture where you are and where you're going. Is there anything that we missed that we should have asked? Um, I, I think the I think the only thing that I think is of interest, at least keenly interest to me, is is you know how do we take an institution like Mayo and, and get them, you know, uh, of course no institution is is perfect at everything. I, I don't want to make sure I say that, but I think they pride themselves on providing this high quality care as they can, and, and I think they're very interested in continuing to partner with us. We we can tap into their their complex care program as as a physician group, which I think makes us you know somewhat unique. Um, we'll continue to look at different different conditions, chronic conditions, um, and do the deep learning models that we have so that at the fingertips of our physicians, we can make sure that we're driving the right medication the first time. And I guess the last thing I would say is we really do take quality, not just the practice of medicine, but then the overall quality metrics. Seriously, I, I don't know what you see out there, but we just did a study on, on uh, in the in urgent care, acute care side setting again, you know, prescriptions of antibiotics for some of the viral infections. And, you know, it looks like the literature says if you're at 30%, that's pretty good. Last year, we started at 25% and most recently have gotten our 250 physicians down to about 7% um, prescription of antibiotics for a viral infection. So I think we're proving out the models that we can drive national primary care um, footprint and do so in a, in a quality way. Well, you're looking at the right measurements for sure. I was shocked to learn that in the pandemic the past two years that viral infections from basically superbugs have far outpaced the pandemic deaths. It's a much bigger problem than anybody's really talking about. Unfortunately, in America, we get most of these from our hospitals, from MRSA and C. diff, and most of that comes from hand-washing issues. So it's just incredibly simple procedures, but a growing problem, and our arsenal is not kept up with the superbugs nor can it because there's just not enough in development right now. So way to go for that. Well, how do people find you if they want to reach out to you, Brad? 
Uh, you can go to hydrogenhealth.com or uh, brad.kirkpatrick at hydrogenhealth.com. Okay. And if y'all could fly a banner overhead, what would your message be to America? I love that question. Think different. I'm kind of in love with the whole Steve Jobs turnaround he did. I think it was the first, first time he came back to Apple and how he really tried to convince that team to think different. I think as a country, we need to think differently, but as you opened, we definitely need to think differently about how we're delivering health and healthcare in this country. And, and we are definitely trying to think different about primary care. Well, thank you for being part of the solution and not part of the problem. Welcome to the light side of the tunnel. That's great to be, uh, I'm sure, in the field. I'm, I'll bet you here for a long, long time. Thank you, Ryan. And only is three and a half years of my 30 years at Abuka. So I, I've been trying to disrupt most of my career. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Thank you again, Brad, for joining us. And we'll thank you later on. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing, and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.